Hey everyone, this is Mike Flanagan. On this episode of the Inside Bowling Show, we welcome two guys that love bowling as much as we do, and that's Robbie Spigner and Mike Fagan. Both of them have been involved in bowling all their lives at some capacity. Whether it was competing on the lanes at a very high level, or being smart businessmen and investing in bowling through bowling center operations. Today's show really focuses on the business side of things and the state of bowling during the COVID-19 pandemic. We really appreciate the conversation and perspectives that both Robbie and Mike brought to the audience on this episode. This show, if you found it by now, is broadcast live on Facebook and YouTube, and you should head over to those accounts by searching Inside Bowling to watch the program and check our schedule for future episodes. If you're enjoying our show, do us a favor and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Matt and I would both really appreciate that. If you really like what we're doing here and would like to support the show, head over to InsideBowling.com and check out our merch. We have licensing deals in place with some of the biggest brands in bowling and, of course, funny pop culture apparel as well. Check it out and use code IBSHOW to save 15% off site-wide. Elements from today's show were intended for both video and audio. We apologize if at some point in the show you can't follow along. This is a great reminder that all of our shows are archived on our YouTube channel. So here it is, Matt and I's conversation with Robbie Spigner and Mike Fagan. Thursday, everybody. And in our group chat at Inside Bowling, it's uh, Selfie Thursday. Uh, headshot, headshot Thursday, Mike. Yeah, there you go. Headshot Thursday. Happy birthday to Carlos Musso from our team. And Adam Ishman also with a birthday today. I don't want to get in the habit of birthdays because there's so many of them all the time. But those two guys I just happened to catch today. So happy birthday to those two guys in the industry. Matt, how you doing today? Looks like you got the jersey hanging up again. Yeah, I think I'm just going to leave it there. I think it takes up that empty space, kind of spices things up a little bit, and decided to match my inside bowling T-shirt today to the to that jersey. So we're we're rolling, we're rocking, man. Yeah, you know the other thing is also is you know Michaels. Uh, they sent me an email this morning. Michaels, the craft store, they have a yep. sale right now, and they can ship directly to your house. They they have a sale on frames right now. You might want to put that thing behind some glass so that. Uh, it you know the white doesn't fade into into yellow or something like that. I'm with you. Yeah, that's a good idea. I've always wanted to do that. Put my jerseys and some medals in a frame and stuff. And I've been saying that for probably about six seven years now, and, and I still haven't done it. So I think it's time to uh, take some action and to actually make it look nice. You're gonna need a bigger wall though, with all the medals and and all the jerseys that that you've worn over the years throughout your illustrious career. Uh, yeah, you know, I've got, I've got nine medals for the Team USA program. I've got probably about, I don't know, five or six jerseys that I still hold on to. I've got some jerseys from other countries, which is probably the coolest part of it all, honestly. Um, but it's none compared, no, none of those accolades really compared to those of Mike Flanagan and his 300 game banner 
that is hanging up on his uh, Funko rack. Back hey, there. that was that was a winner too. That was a winner. That was that banner is because I won a tournament. Um, oh, I thought it was because you just pulled three hundred. No, there were about there were about one hundred twenty kids in the masters division of that event. I was throwing a three D offset hammer, and I bowled this guy Jr. Golden. He was like the the guy. He was like a couple hundred pins ahead of third. And I was the high qualifier the day before, and they drop all the pins, and then I had to bowl match play against all the you know the top ten round right. robin match play. You're familiar with that format a little bit, Matt? Yeah, just just a little bit. And I bowled this guy Jr. Raymond because he was the number two qualifier in the in the first game of the day, and I bowled two ninety. Then I bowled, then I bowled him in position round and bowled two sixty seven, a St. Louis two sixty seven. That's where you you miss a single pin in the middle of the game, and the rest are all strikes. <laughs> And then in, in the championship final, I bowled 279 at him. So he bowled me three times that day. I bowled 290, 267, and 279. So you're averaging like uh, you're averaging like 279 against the guy. Yeah, I, I destroyed that guy that day. It's the only time I ever won, though. They had these Midwest Junior Classics in St. Louis, and I bowled 300 and 800 and finished second three times. Never got a banner, but my banner went at 800 and 300 on it. So... But you know what? Not bowling sucks. And that's my shirt today that I'm wearing. Uh, Nate hooked me up with some of our inside bowling shirts. Figure it'd probably be a better idea to go out and, and wear these shirts on the show. You can save 15% with coupon code IBSHOW. 15% with coupon code IBSHOW. Today we're going to have Mike Fagan and Robbie Spigner on the show. And uh, there's a certain responsibility to this show that we have to do because these guys are, are proprietors now. You know, they, they work with multiple bowling centers in a market. And there's a lot of messages I've been getting from people that were saying, hey, we're really interested to hear what these guys have to say. So there is a certain sense of responsibility with today's show. Uh, we will get a little bit serious in regards to these things and, and the economy of bowling. You know, Fagan in college was known as Faganomics. That's what they called the guy because of his uh, background and his finance degrees and, and everything he's gone on to. But anyway, they called him Faganomics in, in college. And yesterday when we were uh, prepping for the show, Spigner, man, uh, Fagan didn't have a, as much to say as Spigner, so I'm looking forward to seeing if we have some Spigernomics today as well. So it'll be fun. But let's get to uh, let's get to the Bowler X poll question from yesterday. We'll update everybody with that. The Bowler X inside bowling poll question yesterday. It was when will Brad Miller and Kyle Sherman uh, get to 100,000 subscribers over on YouTube? Uh, and our options were September 2020, December 2020, February 2021, or after April of 2021. So. Uh, winning is December of 2020. So when the PBA tour resumes, uh, people are thinking they're going to get to 100,000 subs before the end of the year. And wouldn't that be a great accomplishment for those guys at 36.4% coming in second, February of 2021 at 30.3%. And then uh, September, uh, there's some optimists there thinking that they're going to get there in September or April or later came in at 12%. And Matt, what do you have for me for today's Bowler X poll question? We just want to get right to it. Well, today's Bowler X poll question, Mike, is... In regards to bowling, which describes you best? Bring it on, I'm ready. Cautious, but I'm going. Going to wait a little or very hesitant to return? Okay. So which describes you best regarding going back to bowling? Yeah, let's get that up. And, and I'm not going to lead the witness today. I'm not even going to predict anything because I really don't know what the public thinks. And I'm looking forward to reporting on this poll question tomorrow. On tomorrow's program, we'll have Mike Shady on and we'll, a little programming announcement. We will be on an hour earlier tomorrow. An hour earlier tomorrow, as, as I will be again over on the uh, Sport of Bowling USBC show on Fridays. And it's a great privilege to be able to go over and do that show with with them. Uh, we'll be speaking with uh, some leaders from Las Vegas and Reno 
uh, going over the economical impact in those markets, as well as how it's affected bowling and how important bowling is and what's going to happen when bowling does get back in those markets. So looking forward to spending time with Chad Murphy and John Mark Manzione from Bowlers Journal International. So, Matt, we got a big one here today and um, just a little background on these guys. Most people know Michael Fagan very well from uh, him bowling on tour. Uh, I, I kind of think Verity Crawley is is the uh, female version of Mike Fagan, just somebody you just love to watch bowl, uh, awesome style, um, just somebody that you can really rally around. It's just a cool hipster-like guy that goes out there and bowls, has a lot of fans, uh, his social media had a lot of following, and uh, had, had, a great, had a great career, and then just up and stopped like many other people in the past like a Mark McDowell, even Mike Shady, who's going to be on tomorrow. And guys that said, you know, I need to make a career and I don't know the future in my life. And, and, and Mike went on to, uh, to, to get that master's degree or, or doctorate. I believe it was, he'll tell us I'm screwing the whole thing up. I don't know, <laughs> figure it out. But, uh, and then he, he got a job in Vegas and, and, and then he got hooked up in, in Minnesota with his friend, Robbie Spigner and to set up Robbie a little bit here. You know, he comes from a pedigree bowling family. We talked to Kyle Sherman yesterday about his parents being big in the bowling. And, you know, obviously Bill and Barb Spigner, my goodness gracious, smart people, proprietors, Bill, an unbelievable bowler, Hall of Fame career, USBC. But the, the thing I want to say about the Spigner family before we bring both guests on is when we started inside bowling back in the day and I just started streaming bowling tournaments and doing my thing, they were so nice to me. The whole family had reached out to me. Robbie, uh, we're around the same age, but, you know, we competed a little bit against each other, but always treated me with the utmost respect. Even all the guys in St. Louis, he had a thing for us guys in St. Louis that all bowled and he just sees the passion for bowling. And these two guys being so smart with these degrees, I find it very interesting that they can't get away from bowling. I know they got other things going on in their lives too, but they cannot get away from bowling. And I find that extremely cool. And I'm looking forward to getting into this with them. So Matt, let's go ahead. Let's bring up our guests today, Robbie Spigner and Mike Fagan who are both checking in from Minnesota. Guys, welcome to the program today. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. I've got a quick question, Mike. 290, 279, 267. I'm the St. Louis 67. I love that. I assume it was a nine out back 11 and then like a PBA wash spare back 11 for the other two games, right? Oh, the two like you, you missed in PBA wash, right? The, the no, St. No. Louis style? No, the St. The Louis deal is, you know, everybody strikes so much and the lanes are so easy that you just don't worry about throwing a single pin. So I, That's I, right. I missed a 10 pin in like the sixth frame or something on the 267. Um, I figured the 279 was a nine out also. No, and the, no, no, and, I, no, I competed, you know, I, I went and bowled like youth masters, teen masters, whatever the heck it was called at the time and junior gold and stuff like that. So. I, I, I was at least a guy that got out of the area and that's kind of how I got to know you guys back then. <laughs> Gotcha. The AOL message boards as well. Oh my gosh! Oh, you're very active on those. We're 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 wait, talking way before my time fell, so I'm about just gonna dip out for a little bit and yeah. talk about your AOL time <laughs> and uh, just welcome you back in whenever we come back to the present. Day. I believe it was Rip D Rack was. Uh, Ooh. Ooh, bringing Mike, way back. Wow, Mike starting on AOL in the messenger. I wow. mean, I've been playing a lot of song quiz nineties, you know, on, on Alexa. So, I mean, it's bringing me back to the Ripped Rack days. Yeah, Boy, no. that, I, there's, there's a whole thing about <clears throat> bowlers aim stuff. Like Andrew came was real the bowler 300, I believe <laughs> D a bowler. I think missing the E <clears throat> awesome. I was rev child. If that's any help for anybody. 
I got kicked off so many times I had to keep coming back as other names. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? Yeah. Well, yeah. Really. That, that is well, now you own the website, so you don't need to worry about getting kicked off. <laughs> <laughs> I said when AOL.com becomes available, I'm buying it and I'm making a Hall of Fame. I, <laughs> I sent Bo Burton a message trying to book him as a guest, not to name drop here, but to name drop. And he he's still at AOL.com. Uh, oh, yeah. So anyway, nice. I, I guess we can somewhat maybe get on with the program here as we reminisce and, and go down memory lane a little bit here. But uh, I guess let's start with, we'll start with Mike. Um, Mike, obviously a, a lot of people followed your career and there's been a period of time now, four years or so, or I'm losing track of time that, that you pretty much quit the tour and decided to go in another direction in your life. Could you just get some people up to speed on kind of what happened after that, uh, what you did, the work you put in, the job you got and where you're at now? Yeah, I had an incredible opportunity in front of me. I was able to go back to get my MBA. So I was accepted into the University of California, Berkeley uh, MBA program. And I just you know, figured it was uh, an opportunity that I could not pass up. I had bowled on a tour for 13 years. It was, uh, I think it was time for me to step away and try to pursue other things. Uh, so I spent two years getting my MBA. I ended up taking a job in Vegas, uh, much because I really liked Las Vegas from my time there. And I also thought that um, on the back of my mind, I could also continue to bowl a little bit. And when people came to town for different events, I would see my friends more often. So I ended up choosing Las Vegas. I was working for MGM Resorts. Uh, kind of a blessing in disguise, I think, that I ended up getting a call from Robbie to come work for Triple Shift Entertainment uh, because MGM is obviously not doing so well right now. But, uh, you know, Long story short is I'm back in the bowling world. I'm really happy to be here and I'm working hard to, to grow triple shift entertainment and make sure that it's, uh, you know, a, an industry leader. Awesome. And Robbie, how did you, how did you recruit Michael here to be part of uh, triple shift entertainment? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a funny thing. He's the, the first person I told about the deal, uh, other than my wife and my financial partners, um, so from the from the very beginning of looking at, at this opportunity, he was the first person that came to mind of who I wanted to partner with. Uh, I've known Mike since college. Uh, I've known of Mike since 97 Junior Gold, Reno, first year. Um, that was the first time I saw him bowl. Uh, phenomenal. Then, uh, no, maybe no, he missed the when cut. he won Teen Masters. <laughs> no, he, he missed the cut that year, actually. Um, and I... We won't go into that bitter, bitter memories. I made the cut. I made the cut. Yeah, there you go. And then they dropped all the pinfall. Great, great yeah, decision. And, and, and by the way, Mike, I think won the second chance tournament that year, though, didn't you, Mike? Mm, I don't think so. No, I was, I was not a fan of the of uh, the stadium at that point. Okay. I had to grow to love the stadium. Maybe a finalist. But that wasn't it. Wasn't it Hilton? The second chance. Yeah, what, it was. was the Hilton. You guys have a better memory than I do. <laughs> when you win, when you win that much, they just they just kind of all blend together. I think you, know, you want Masters, that. second chance jog. Just I just can't keep them track. Yeah. Um. So I've uh, I had an opportunity to get to to know Mike through college, kind of bowling against each other. I think we bowled some action together. I'd I'd fly out to New York, uh, from time to time bowl weekends, just action bowl all night, and then fly back to school. Um. And as kind of life goes on, you find people that you have more in common with than a, a ball and 10 pins. 
Uh, and Mike and I have always seen eye to eye and had uh, similar interests outside of the sport. And when he was looking to go back to, we, we started serving on the USBC board together. So I got to see Mike in action on the business side more. Uh, I was clearly watching what he was doing out on tour as far as building the, the Fagan brand. Uh, got to serve together on the board and then got, uh, got to see him in action there. Then when he decided to go back to school or start thinking about it, he reached out just to talk about it because my career uh, in bowling was short and pathetic compared to his, but my career in business had, had gone in a different different route and something that he was interested in. So we started talking about that. And then as he, uh, fortunately, he, he ended up in California. I live in San Francisco and he uh, we got to see each other through his time at Berkeley. We actually won the California State Doubles, um, which is the only award hanging in his house, just so everyone knows. <laughs> Um, it's actually right next to Theodore's nightstand. Um, while he was at school, uh, getting his MBA, then went to, to MGM and, uh, we just got to be better and better friends, uh, and more appreciation for his mind for business and how it reconciled with my mind and, uh, the different skill sets we bring to the table, uh, especially in a situation like we are in right now, my skill set. Uh, is very relevant given my career in restructuring and bankruptcy and distressed situations. Um, but his brand in bowling, his passion for bowling, his creativity and what we can do, and is uh, always not afraid to push the boundaries, which is what we need in the sport and, and in our company. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, that's a nice little resume there for Mr. Fagan. Nice accolades there. So, uh, Robbie, tell, tell everybody then, you know, I, People know a little bit of you as a bowler, those that can remember. I remember a big run at Hawthorne Lanes where your parents owned the bowling center, a PBA event. Uh, could we relive that moment? Because I don't have all the recollections of that, but you you made match play and you had a big match and you had the whole hometown yeah. behind you that, that moment. Yeah. Boy, we brought up Jog 97 and Hawthorne. My run, these are all the tournaments where, where I made a lot of friends. Um, so the, uh, that was, it was pretty awesome. I was in college at IU, Indiana university. And obviously Mike, you and I were getting to know each other more than cause we're competing uh, in college ranks. Uh, I had the, the benefit of the hometown audience. Uh, it was, it was an awesome, awesome experience. Uh, I ended up losing to Danny Wiseman who ended up winning the tournament. So effectively I finished second. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I had a, I had a chance to make the show through, uh, I think I needed the first or the second one in the 10th. I don't know. Uh, and I did not throw it well. Um, didn't see the head pin. Wasn't, wasn't a great, great performance there, but I bowled, uh, Claude Godin from Canada. I beat him in, uh, best of five, I think were those rounds. And then I brought bowled Brian Goble, who you know, I've always, Always respected, amazing player, but awesome human being, clean cut, took care of himself, was a, a great representative of the sport and still is. And uh, I got to see Brian when he bowled our senior tour stop at uh, River City Extreme in Monticello, Minnesota this past year. It's always great to see Brian. Uh, yeah, I, I It was a rush. It was awesome. And I can only imagine how you know Mike felt being on TV and actually competing in that. Uh, I would say that may have been the peak of my bowling career, uh, though I won a I won the beat the champs in Chicago a couple of years 
Can I ask a question? Is it? No. It, no, You're I, not the host. I just want to know, was it strange <laughs> for you bowling against your uh, idol and Brian Goble and, and your ball roll idol? Because you yeah. guys bowled- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, probably the only guy that had a smaller track than I did at that time. But, uh, I, I used to joke, I'd take a ball out of the box and to see how it rolled, I'd just spin it on the ground. Like, oh, that's, that, that looks like it'll be good for me. Little tilt uh, never hurt nobody. Oh my gosh. My tilt, that, that, how that all happened was college and bowling at the union at IU, who you know, hadn't seen oil since 1984. Get that and I had to get the lane. ball down the lane. It was my ball roll was so much better before I went to college. My dad will attest to that. Uh, really disappointing. Uh, I so I, I used a fuse. I used a red fuse and um, what was that monster? The original. Yeah, <laughs> the original. Yeah, I know they remade all these '90s balls. What was that pearl? Not monster. Street, yeah, there we go. That ball, yeah, those balls were, were awesome. So, I that's what I used for that whole tournament. Uh, and then I went, uh, went back to IU, back to my partying ways. So, my the, my peak of bowling was pretty pretty early in my life, it was all downhill from there, pretty much. So, yeah, and growing up, your parents owned a bowling center, you, you grew up in that environment. Your dad, you know, yep. Hall of Fame bowler, awesome coach. Um, very smart guy too, and and your mom who doesn't get much credit, and she's in the chat right now. But she she yeah. held everything together, and your brothers. Did you ever think that you would be owning bowling centers? Was that a goal of yours, considering mom and dad did? Yeah, it's a uh, little bit of family background. Uh, the bowling history in our family goes back another generation. Uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was. Uh, was at Brunswick and was second to the CEO um, and ran the bowling division. So the GS X machine now it was the GS 10 when it originally was brought over. My, my grandfather ran the bowling division and was the one that brought that over from Germany. It was a German made machine. Uh, so our, our background in bowling goes back another generation to my grandfather. Uh, and when, when I was growing up, in in high school, I was bowling our scratch league Tuesday night men's scratch league at the bowling center, and I was doing my homework during scratch league because it was uh, like a third shift league. Uh, and people would ask me, "Oh, I, you want to be a pro bowler?" I said, "No, I want to be the CEO of Brunswick. That's what I want to be." I was always interested in wanting to be on that side. Uh, that's why I went to Indiana University for two reasons: I didn't have to fundraise to bowl; it was a funded bowling program, and I didn't feel like I'd have, I should be fundraising for something that I made money doing. Uh, and then uh, it's a great business program, top, top in the world. Uh, so after, after college, I bowled a little bit, then worked at our family center during that time. And then I started my career in consulting. When my family decided to sell the bowling center, uh, I knew that I wanted back in it, my, I want to get experience outside of the industry and then bring it back to the industry. So from the moment that we sold, it was a matter of time before I got back in. I looked at a lot of opportunities over the course, but I needed something large enough uh, for me to get back into. One, two centers isn't isn't large enough for me to implement my vision. I needed a, a strong, strong base of centers to, to operate off of. So I always expected to be back in the industry. It was just a matter of time. And when the opportunity in Minnesota came up, uh, jumped on it, 
pretty quickly. So I, I did expect to be back in the industry. Uh, I love it. It's part of the fiber of who I am. Uh, I think it's important for communities and that's the type of businesses I like to be part of. Awesome. So, so Mike, give, give a lay of the land. What Minnesota, what, what is it that you guys currently have going on there? Like how many centers, what, what do they look like? And you know, that stuff. Yep. So 10 locations in total, uh, nine of which are, you're going to find within an hour of the twin cities. Uh, and the, the final location is down in Rochester, Minnesota, close to the Mayo clinic. Uh, two of the locations are what you would consider your big box family entertainment centers. So main lanes, private lanes, uh, large bar and restaurant, arcade, laser tag. Uh, we've got virtual reality at one of our locations at, uh, our, our marquee location is Pins in Oakdale, uh, which has all of those things plus the virtual reality. And then eight, eight of the locations are what you would consider your traditional league houses. Um, and, you know, they are truly the backbone of our business. Uh, Sunray Lanes is probably the gem in all of those. I mean, we've got 24 lanes and over 2,500 league bowlers. Uh, there's literally three or four shifts of league every single day of the week during the season. It's, a, it's an incredible building. Uh, and our general manager, Robert, Robbie Lawrence, uh, is a superstar. So we've, you know, we've got a great chain and we've got a, a great team. And, you know, we're just excited to kind of get things back going um, and see where, you know, how big we can take it. Because we were we were certainly ramping up uh, when this all unfortunately came to fruition, the situation we're in right now. What's the biggest thing that, that going into the job that surprised you, Mike? You know, you've been around bowling forever, but you, you know, never really ran bowling centers from my understanding. Like, what was the biggest surprise? And you were like, wow, I didn't know about this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was a complete 180 from what I would imagine a bowling career would be, a bowling management career. Uh, it, let's just say I give the people who run bowling centers now a heck of a lot of credit. It's a lot harder than it looks, especially when you're just worried about, oh, uh, you know, I need a sweep or I need a 180 or whatever the situation may be as, as a competitor. Uh, there's so many other facets to it. And the fact of the matter is my first year in this business, uh, I barely, we barely even worked in bowling at all. I mean, I was focused on arcade, food and beverage, um, you know, other facility issues. I mean, we've got so much going on under one roof in all of our facilities that, Although we are bowling based, you know, the bowling business is really strong and solid. And, you know, we're looking at ways to optimize all of the different business and revenue flows that come in under one roof. It's amazing that I came into the bowling world and didn't really have, uh, you know, didn't wasn't really working with bowling too much because there's so much, so many other things going on under one roof. And, uh, it's just a testament of of the well-roundedness that you need to be in order to operate these these facilities. Rob, uh, let me ask you this: When did you guys purchase these centers? I can't remember. And how was business going leading up to the pandemic that we're facing right now? Yeah, so we're 18 months into the investment, and uh, things were were really clicking along nicely. The February was the largest February the company had ever had. Uh, we had done a lot to to optimize certain areas of the business and uh, focus everyone on areas that drive results. Uh, March was starting out to be stellar as well, the largest March the company was ever going to have. Um, 
So we were we were on a uh, good path. Our league volumes were solid. Uh, we prioritized taking care of our, our league bowlers. Uh, that is our community. Those are our, uh, we've to, we always have to protect them. I mean, it, going through this whole thing, the most important thing for us is our, our league bowlers are safe. Uh, our team members are safe and which will inform everything that we do going forward. Uh, but business was, was on a good clip. Uh, lots of opportunity for us to continue to introduce bowling to, to other crowds that weren't, uh, have not been endemic to the sport, not coming in as often as as we would love them to. Uh, but what what we do know is that if we get them in the doors, they love the bowl. We just got to get them to get them in the doors, and then we could get them to come back. Uh, Mike's done an incredible job, uh, really picking up the business. He, I I did say to him, you come in, you you got to just learn, you know, open your eyes and ears and learn for the first year because it takes a long time to really understand all the aspects of it and. How if you pull one lever, like four other levers need to be adjusted at the same time. So, um, but we're we're clipping along really well. We've built a superstar team. Uh, we've got a really strong base of centers, and in a market that loves bowling, uh, that we identify with, they're good, good hometown Midwestern people, just like me. Uh, we transplanted a guy from Long Island out there, which caused a little consternation. It's it. Uh, I'll tell you one story when we were working through the investment, uh, Mike had come out with me to to check out all the centers. And we walked through, I think seven of them or something on that trip. And we went to Super Bowl and it was, a, I think a Wednesday night. And we're sitting there just watching and uh, Mike gets back and gets a message on his, uh, his fan page. It says, hey, were you? at Super Bowl in Minnesota last week? If so, what were you doing in Minneapolis? And also, could you sub for us next week? <laughs> Brilliant. Did you, did you sub? <laughs> no, I had to go back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To Vegas. Sorry. Classic. Classic. <laughs> That's a sign. That's a sign right there. <laughs> That this is right for me. They want the people want me. Yeah, that's right. That was the ultimate validation. We had in another center that time, and we walked in, um, and went in the front door, and like two pairs turned around and looked and just stared at him as we walked down and into the went to the bar to check it out. Uh, and then on our way out, those two pairs just stared at him as the way out. They clearly knew who he was, but we're like. What's he doing in Minnesota? That was pretty funny. Mike, uh, as you're active in the bowling centers, do you still are the, are the people there? Are they still kind of starstruck that, that you're involved in, in the centers, or or have they started to accept you in as just Mike? Yeah, I think definitely the latter. I mean, we I I'm at the center so much, especially uh, we just opened a pro shop at Sunray Lanes, the Bowlers Lounge. Uh, you know, we I'm there quite often, so. I talk to the guys, we hang out, you know, I took, took part in uh, storm demo day a few months ago. So, I mean, you know, I want to get out there. I want to meet everybody. I want to say hi and uh, you know, talk to them, hopefully, you know, share bowling stories. And if there's something that they want to learn about bowling, maybe I can help them out, give them a tip or two, uh, you know, but I, I don't think that, you know, hopefully there's a mutual respect there that, you know, we love, we all love bowling and uh you know, we, <laughs> I don't mind, I don't mind being, you know, the person that 
when I walk in the door, there's people that know who I am. And I, I you know, I hopefully that adds some uh, credibility to what we're trying to do in the business. Yeah, I really like what you guys said about, you know, league bowlers are, are your focus. And, and but but yet you have all these other revenue opportunities inside the center. Like I'm sure, Mike, you cleaned up cost of goods and and hourly rates and maximizing revenue during peak times and, and how you drive people in the door during off peak times and lane turnover and hourly versus per game and all that kind of stuff, birthday party packages and how they're built. And I'm sure that's that was exactly what what you were digging into and, and have done a fine job with. And, and Rob, you talked about how you guys were cruising along. You guys were doing really well, best February ever. And then boom, coronavirus hits and we all know what we've had to deal with. And I think a lot of people that are listening to this program today really want to get your feedback, both of you, in regards to how it's impacted your business, how you feel about what's what's going on, how you're going to come out of this, the steps that you've taken, and if there's going to be opportunity for for bowling to grow or acquire more centers or what's just going to happen. So there's a lot there, right, that we really need to get to. So, Rob, I'll let you get started. You can pick any of those topics that you like. What would you like to to get out in your message about what we're dealing with right now? Yeah, so you, you've got uh, a lot to contend with here. Uh, to be to be successful uh, in reopening, you need, one, the ability to reopen. Uh, so the government has to allow you to reopen. Two, you need to have the team to reopen, which is a challenge uh, in today's environment because of some of the stimulus packages. Um, three, you need people walking through the door. Uh, and four, they need to be able to spend money when they come in. So all those things have to fall into place for us to successfully reopen as a business. Um, right now, we can't reopen. Uh, that's obviously what it is. Uh, hiring teammates back, that's going to be a challenge all the way through the summer. Uh, that every proprietor is going to face. We've retained a, a strong GM team that we could do a lot with. Um, and we're excited about what we're working on to come back online. M my concerns uh, are on the, are people going to walk through the door? And when they walk through the door, they're going to have a willingness to, to spend money. Uh, the willing to walk through the door, I think, comes down to a health security issue as well as time of year issue. Uh, when you look at June through August, it is obviously our lowest time of year. So if you were to pick a time for this to happen, it now would be that time. Uh, so we expect and don't see volumes during the summer very much anyway. Minnesota is very much cabin culture. They have lots of cabins uh, throughout the state that people own and they go to, and that's where they enjoy their summers, lots of fishing, hunting, all sorts of stuff. Uh, so. Our volumes are low in the summer anyways. Uh, so stepping back to focus on the consumer and the guest, uh, health security is going to be their first concern, uh, which I think we will get out of uh, once there's large scale antibody testing, uh, any sort of progress on a vaccine. Uh, in Minnesota, we have we are still on the rise as far as new cases and deaths. Uh, we haven't peaked yet. Most of the problems that are focused on long-term care facilities. So our most susceptible population is the one that's most impacted, um, which are not necessarily our, our everyday guests. Uh, my concerns are once we get over the health security issue is everyone having financial security. Uh, when you look at uh, unemployment rates that are in the mid thirties to 40 million, 
That is uh, staggering. Uh, we have been through the financial security uh, time before where that was at risk and that's 2008. That's sort of the nearest time uh, that we have good data on. Bowling did incredibly well during that time. Uh, right now, you're going to see people not traveling as much, so they're going to stay close to home. The question is, when they stay close to home, do they stay in their home or do they uh, go out and enjoy things? Uh, I think for the near term, uh, you're hard pressed to see people racing out of their homes to go inside. And that is one of the challenges of our business is it's indoors and it's summer and they've been cooped up for months. So uh, I, I think the next couple of months, we're gonna take it very cautious. We're gonna do whatever is necessary to protect our team and our guests uh, and whatever is best for bowling. Uh, I do think there's challenges when you talk about social distancing restrictions in our business. Our business is built around socialization. It is all about that 100%. People don't go bowling alone. Uh, they don't go bowling so that they can bowl on Facebook or on uh, these other platforms so you can bowl with somebody in Arizona or around the country. You go with a friend. Uh, I don't have friends, so I go bowling alone. So, But I'm in the minority these days. Uh, so you're, you're hard-pressed to see how do you succeed in an environment that is built 100% around socialization when you are you have to social distance. Uh, so you're going to have to see a, a great relaxing of restrictions Hopefully this all comes in time for September when leagues are kicking off going into next year. We're gonna do whatever we can. We're gonna make sure our leagues are, are comfortable and safe and ready to compete and enjoy the sport. Uh, but I uh, don't think June, July are the months that we're gonna look for a lot of activity. We'll be very cautious going through that. Mike, what would you like to add there? Well, I think Robbie summed it up. I mean, this is, this is exactly what we want to do. We want to make sure that everyone is very safe in our facilities. We want to make sure that people are able to enjoy their facilities. I mean, when you go bowling, normally, you want to forget about the rest of the world. You want to focus on either your craft if you're a bowler. You want to focus on having a good time if you're there to socialize. You don't want to have to worry about what's going on in the rest of the world and, and all the other troubles, whether it's a virus or a war or whatever is going on in the world. Um, so. You know, eventually we want to get to the place where people feel safe in our facilities and they feel like I can leave all my troubles at the door. Um, and, you know, it's it's going to take some time and um, there's going to be some adjustments, but we're hoping that we can get to that place again where people just come into our facilities and enjoy themselves. Yeah, we're looking at we're looking at two months here, I believe, is, is about the time frame of what it's been 60 days or so. Mike, what have you been doing at the center level? after you guys had to figure out what you were going to do with, with the employees and everything else, what are you guys doing there for the last 60 days? And has there been some opportunities there to do some things that maybe you wouldn't have gotten to if it was normal operating business every day, reactionary, you're busy, too many distractions. What are you doing? Uh, personally, I've been lucky enough where I can work from home. So I've been able to take on almost all of my responsibilities from here. And I haven't had to go into the facilities too much. Um, we do have all of our general managers still on staff. So they are doing a lot of ad hoc projects around the, the centers, which include, you know, some deep cleaning, uh, other things that, you know, are, like you said, very difficult to do when uh, we're open seven days a week, almost 365 days a year. Uh, personally, you know, I mean, I'm looking at setting up programs and technologies and, and implementing different tools into the business so that 
we feel like we are going to set a great foundation for our business and be more efficient, be more competitive, um, you know, and just, and hopefully make our jobs easier. Uh, when we came into this business, the jobs were not easy. Uh, everybody's job was really, really difficult and it still is. Uh, a lot of manual inputs, a lot of manual data entry, things like that. So we're just trying to use some some of our skill sets when it comes to uh, technology and building out platforms and documents so that everybody's job is a little bit more streamlined when we come back. Yeah, and speaking of all of these different things that you guys are looking at, ways to try to innovate your business to make sure that when it's time to go back to bowling and everything kind of returns back to normal, you guys are all set and ready to go. And I know Robbie's wheels are always turning in his mind. I know the same thing with you, Mike. Do you think that there's a potential for an uptick in the pro shop business coming back to bowling as people are not going to be, or, you know, do you think people may be hesitant to be using, you know, general products that are out there for everybody to use? And do you guys see maybe a focus in your bowling centers looking more at establishing, um, you know, a, a, a more foundationalized pro shop business um, as part of your centers? 100%, 100%. I mean, you know, sterilizing a house ball every time it's used, um, is a very tall task and it's probably something that, you know, we can talk about, but actually getting it implemented every single time that ball is touched um, is another story. So the safest way we would hope is for that person who normally would rent a ball or take a ball off the house rack would be go purchase a ball, um, you know, and, and we can, we're looking at different programs to how we can get people their own equipment, their own shoes, their own bag ball and everything uh, at a very, inexpensive rate to try to introduce them to the sport and and get them uh, hooked, if you will. That's kind of a pun on word right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, not if you're uh, Mike. If you're Mike, you're going pretty straight. So there's no there's no hooking going on there. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? We, we got to get more balls in people's hands and, and get them uh, into the sport. And, and, you know, people are just you're never going to have the passion for the sport unless you've got your own equipment. Yeah, for sure. And and kind of uh, extending off of your professional experience here, how do you think that this is going to affect the professional tour moving forward? Do you think that bowling has an interesting opportunity in the fact that it's not a sport that has to deal with 20,000 fans being in the stands? So it may be interesting and a little bit easier for bowling uh, to resume back on in terms of the professional level. I hope so. I hope so. It was very strange watching the PBA World Championship a couple of months ago when there was nobody there. Uh, so it's it's a different mindset, and, and you know the crowd is an integral part of that back and forth between the players. So it's an interesting dynamic that um, I hope it's not the new normal, and I hope that you know people uh, we can still produce content to you know watch. Obviously, right now I think everybody is very sports deprived in the world. So I mean, if we can get out there and hopefully get some live sports, live bowling going, uh, you know whether it's whether it's made for TV and there's not really a big crowd there to prevent any kind of spread, or uh, we take precautions to get people in the door, but you know, potentially have some type of temperature check and things like that, where you know we feel like it's a it's a safe environment for the players. Uh, all of that, I think, is going to end up um, hopefully benefiting and, and getting getting the sport back to where we we want it to be and you know where it has been. Yeah, I actually think. Bowling is one of the best positioned throughout this. As a as a sport, we've been we were on the bleeding edge actually of online distribution of content 
you could look at what the PBA did uh, many years ago when they started introducing live stream before other sports did as far as online. Uh, in our, our community has been used to consuming small scale production live sporting events. Uh, our business, uh, the sport is actually well suited for small scale live product or uh, live production. Uh, you can't do a small scale live production of a baseball game or a football game or any of those things. Like name another sport you could do in a effectively a hundred feet by 20 feet piece of property and, and have the best people in the world compete on it. Racquetball, cornhole, maybe a little cornhole action. Mm -hmm. I've watched that on ESPN. Really entertaining. Maybe you guys yeah. should implement that in your centers. You guys should open up a cornhole, cornhole arena. After watching that, I know I'm an athlete. So. <laughs> uh, we actually have multiple cornhole leagues at our centers. You, you We've had, yep. yeah. Why yeah. am I not surprised? I mean, we I'm, probably have 150 cornhole league members. Do you guys have it? Do you guys take one, take a lane, like a lane panel, and that's like you like make them compete on this like little sheet of you know of a lane and make it more like <laughs> put a bowling tie to it? <laughs> we uh we at River City Extreme we have a cornhole league at uh at Andover Lanes we have a cornhole league Andover our Andover is the second largest bingo hall in the state, our Andover lanes, as well as we had an indoor uh, disc golf league there. And they called Putt-Putt League during the, the winter. Yeah, um, legendary. Uh, yeah, so I think when you're going back to the competitive bowling element of it, I mean, I watch Nebas, right, in the Northeast. I love watching them. That's great. Uh, so it we were used to it as a community as an industry is well accepted so we should be able to get back to consumption of live sporting faster than anybody else it's just such a small square footage and small footprint that you could get it in to that other sports can't uh, we don't have the revenues and the following necessarily some of those other sports but it's very challenging for them to get back to business i have a friend that owns three minor league ball clubs and it's just like there is no future for that for the for this year. I mean, his business is effectively gone. Talk to him throughout this. It's very challenging. Uh, we could get back to it uh, pretty pretty quickly, pretty well. Yeah, and I think that that's something that's interesting here is for people in our industry like you like you guys that are very forward thinking and are always looking for another opportunity. And while of course this whole coronavirus situation is terrible and you know people are losing their lives and it really is 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 just is just awful. Um, it's taking our position in, in, as an industry and realizing and trying to find ways that we can leverage that and say exactly what you just said, Robbie, was, yeah, okay, you know, like this isn't that far off from where we've been for a long time and other sports are going to struggle to do that. So how can we leverage this as an opportunity? And I guess another question I want to ask is that moving, you know, I think maybe a decade ago, it was way less common to have other forms of entertainment within, an, within a bowling alley. As, as, as common as it is today, right? So it was mainly just bowling back then. And over the years, you've seen it evolve to go from just a bowling alley to a bowling alley and a restaurant, and then laser tag and an arcade and a cornhole league. So where do you guys see the future going now after this huge uh, crucial event of this coronavirus? Where do you see the future going for bowling centers in, in the U.S. and I guess around the world? Uh, I'll... I'll give it a, a crack. 
I don't think it it changes really a whole lot. I think our business is to get give people an opportunity to be away from their everyday life. When you walk in our doors, the rest of the world should not exist. And whatever you need to do for people to be able to, to be able to enjoy their time there and forget about the rest of the world is what we need to keep doing. So it, the, the business has always come down to guest service, taking care of your 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 team members, taking care of your guests. That's no different. Uh, I think we are starting to see uh, a bit people walking away from their in-home entertainment as much there uh, or there's becoming two audiences. There's the people that game at home all the time. And then there's the people that go out of their home to do activities and have in-person enjoyment. Um, so for us, it's, it, it's no different. It will always stay on top of the tra attractions. We have virtual reality in one of our locations that Mike implemented this summer, uh, or not this summer, this past year, which has gone fantastic. Uh, it's very exciting. So new forms of entertainment, we'll always follow those. We've we've looked at axe throwing. Uh, we haven't pulled the trigger on it, but we would we were we've respect it. It's ready to do it. There's other forms that we've been looking at. Uh, so whatever whatever we want or whatever we can give people an opportunity to socialize and step away from their everyday life. That's what it's going to be uh, for our business. Yeah, that's interesting. I have, I think a really important question here is who would be better at ax throwing uh, Robbie or, or fake and who do you guys think uh, would be better between the two of you? I mean, do you want the ax to spin like this or like that? <laughs> well, I mean, has there been enough testing to see what's more efficient and then what yields better results? But uh, yeah, I mean, sh shoot, uh, axe axe roll, I guess, is is a pivotal pivotal part of what makes you a good axe thrower. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would probably go with Robbie here. My my overhand motion from years of bowling uh, is pretty well done. I tried to throw a baseball a few years ago, and it was really embarrassing. So my my over I don't know about underhand axe throwing. You might end up, you know, you hold on a little too long. Have you guys seen Mike play any other sports? Is it bad? I've seen it. I've I've just got by, just by I've got axe throwing on lock. I've got axe throwing on lock. to see uh, I've seen Mike swing the bat at AT&T Park at home uh, home plate and and run to first base he yeah uh, there's a reason he stuck to a 15-foot approach i want to fire in here off the top rope at you at you robbie <laughs> you're an, you're an opportunist right you're an opportunist you also want to grow bowling yep we know that during this particular phase of what's happening not everybody was as financially secure within their bowling centers. And we're probably, it's probably safe to assume that there's going to be some bowling centers that are going to close. There's going to be some opportunities out there. Are you guys looking at potentially picking up some more bowling centers? And the reason why I ask is you were tagged in a USBC discussion forum on Facebook earlier, I believe last week. And I was sent a couple private messages to ask you the question that they believe that the two of you would would be willing to save every bowling center in, in the United States if you possibly could and get involved. Obviously, you can't scale that quickly, but is there opportunities? Will you be looking for opportunities? And, and tell us what you're thinking on that one. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, I think when, when you're a bowling proprietor that's been in the business forever, just like we were, uh, my family, 
you want to to sell your bowling center or exit it to someone who's going to take care of your team members and your bowlers and guests that you have known for sometimes 20, 30 years uh, and to maintain that community. That's uh, critical for for our business model and what we focus on. Uh, so when we when people look to to move on or retire, uh, we want to be that that partner of choice for them to move on to, uh, knowing that we'll do everything in our power to protect their community that they've built uh, in their their town. So uh, if there's others that that aren't going to get through this, we're our phone lines are open. We're always willing to have a conversation. I've talked to some proprietors uh, about my thoughts on it, what what I would be thinking about going through this. Uh, I, I do think that a lot of proprietors will get through this very well. I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom for the industry. This is a bit of a hiccup. Uh, if you if you look at sort of the cost structure of bowling centers, if you own your real estate, uh, you can slam that cost structure dramatically. It's largely going to be real estate taxes, uh, utilities. Our utility costs are nil right now because of what we've done inside the centers. Uh, your labor is largely variable uh, if you're a, a proprietor. So you can you could get through this with very limited cost for a period of time. So if you own a real estate, uh, you're not in, even if you don't own your real estate, uh, the landlords, the, there's nobody lining up to take over 25 to 75,000 square foot building that you need to repurpose from a bowling center. So the landlords uh, are going to face a problem as well, and they should be incentivized to work through this. Uh, our, our financial partners, lenders, uh, landlords, uh, my co-investors have all been nothing but the best to work through this. They know that the best situation for everybody is this business to continue to operate and get back to dominating uh, the market and doing what's best for bowling. So I, I think the, the industry is actually very well poised to come out of this very strong. Uh, it, it is not like other buildings where it is a lot of money to repurpose from a bowling center to another facility. There's a lot of demo that needs to go in into it. So you're not going to see landlords line up and saying, hey, I, I want the keys. Uh, because when a when a landlord or a lender often takes the keys, they need someone to sell it to on the other side. And there's not an active liquid market to sell these into. So I think if I was a proprietor uh, in, a, in those situations, I would be holding firm and talking and having open communications with your, your lenders and your financial partners said, hey, this is this is the reality of it. Let's get through this together. It'll be fine on the other end of it. It's a it's a hiccup. Um, so you end up looking at longer durations for some of these holders, uh, but they won't go away. Bowling bowling will always be around. And if you do what's right for bowling, that's what's right for your business. And that's what we do every day. We, we talk about what's right for bowling. Most every conversation we say, is that, is that good for bowling? Is what we're doing good for bowling? If it's good for bowling, it's good for our business flat out. Uh, so I, I think you know, those proprietors out there are scared. They don't need to be scared. This is we're going to get through this just fine as an industry. Uh, I, have, I don't have any concern, actually, for the industry going forward. Pretty strong words. What do you it, think? It, I think the, the ones and if you look at when a lot of our centers were built, there was an era if you build it, they will come. And they weren't built on prime grade A real estate. 
So if you have prime grade A real estate that's easy to repurpose, uh, your landlord may have a bit more to talk about. But if you're not off the main strip, if you're somewhere behind a building, landlord, they're, they need you just as much as you need them. So there's a conversation to be had. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? I would agree. Um, you know, I think we have to be, our business is, you know, like I said, I came into this business a little over a year ago. I'm learning a lot and I, I, I'm learning something every single day that, that we go to work. Um, I want to get better at what I'm doing, you know, so, you know, can I, would I say right now, like if there were every bowling center in the country came to me and said, come and come and pick me up, you know, I'd be overwhelmed, of course. But at the same time, um, you know, that's where we want to go to eventually. I, I want to feel more secure in my skill set before I say, yeah, let's take on another 20 or 30 locations. I mean, that's uh, that's a big, big uh, chunk to take off. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you have to move when the market moves. So, you know, if we have opportunities during this, this crisis period and people are looking to exit, um, you know, I think we have to seriously take a look at it. And it's not something that you know, we have to say yes to every single one, but you know, it's, it's definitely worth the conversation. Yeah. And just on the record, if you guys uh, would like inside bowling to be involved with any of your existing business or in the future, please <laughs> give us a call. 1-800-INSIDE-BOWLING. Uh, we, 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 we have a little bit of time left here. I I've, I've two, two things that, that, that I'd like to get to. We do have Casey Mattingly actually said, Hey, can we get a college bowling story from you guys uh, talking about bowling centers not being open is a bit depressing. But you guys are experts at this, so that's why we want to talk to you about those things. So we will now give this opportunity to, as we're an interactive show, to, to let you guys maybe share maybe a lighthearted story or something that maybe happened in, in college bowling. Either one of you want to take that question. There's a story of um, a Fagan and a bowling ball in a masking unit. <laughs> I know that story. If you I want tell to. that one again. Yeah, how how ironic it's come full circle. Now you own the bowling center and the masking unit. You, you, now you guys are working. <laughs> yeah, on now I, I'd act much differently if I were <laughs> on the other side of that counter. Uh, Actually, last week he wrote that guy a check. It was just like <laughs> him. He he was thinking about it, contemplating life. He's like, I really owe that guy. So we covered it for him at triple shift. But you know, it just we had to get off his shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> Coming out of my bonus. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? You were what? just like lofting the lane and the ball like double dribbled or something? Uh, no, I would say I was 19 years old and a bit of a hothead. <laughs> oh, that's I, a, yeah. That's not the version. I The version I heard was that you were at college bowling and it was like you're bowling on the super mega burn and you're like lofting it 40 feet down the lane, 50 feet, and you lofted it and it bounced and then it went into the masking unit. I believe it was a spare shot. That's it was a spare shot, and it was also uh, moderately on purpose. <laughs> I wouldn't say all right. So I, when I was nineteen, obviously big hothead, and you know thought I was the S, whatever. Right. So I we were in a situation. We were at this this college bowling tournament, and we were heavily stacked on the left side. So we had four lefty All Americans on our team and me. And the left was totally shut out. I mean, the top left-hander, I think, in the event was like 75th in all events or something ridiculous. So we were totally shut out. This was one of the big Christmas tournaments, tier one event. And uh, we pretty much came in thinking like, we're going to clean up. We're going to win this. And they totally shut out the left. And I don't know who was pulling, pushing the button, probably 
could have been Nick Oglin. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but he's got to take a shot at my Hoosiers. What's up with that? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Uh, so six, seven, ten, got got a little ticked off at what was going on. I'd been lofting the ball, but I could never actually get it to bounce into the masking unit. We were balling on some old wood lanes, and I think it just had an extra little get up at the back in the back. And uh, it's a soft one hopped, one hopped into the masking unit. Everything exploded, dust everywhere. The lights came out, and I'm like, "Wow, I'm getting kicked out of here." <laughs> Did you get banned? I was just shocked. What's that? Did you get banned? Oh no, 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 no! They gave me the ball to shoot the spare again. <laughs> oh my god, this is ridiculous! Uh, listen, I mean, when you're the golden child, I mean, you can never do anything wrong. I guess there you That's go. Funny. And we I got it. I remember there was a particular shoe that went flying when you needed a strike also uh, trying to make it to, to TV for nationals. I think it was as well. Right. Mike. Honestly, who throws a shoe? Right. <laughs> yeah. I took my shoe off. All right. I rang 10 and we got locked, knocked out of the tournament. And I mean, I was pretty close to hitting Gordon Vatican with my shoe, but you know, <laughs> it is, what it is. It's only close in horseshoes and hand grenades. Yeah, right? right. And we got a question. We got an early comment here from Stu Williams. Uh, that's why you bowl for lineage and I bowl for thousands. Classic Robbie. Robbie, we're grilling Fagan pretty hard here, but I want to hear more about this story. No stories. No stories. That, that, that the, the super hoinky. Uh, when I spoke. Oh, my God. There's a, there's a lot, of, lot of stories. Mine are not as public as Fagan's. They're more inside. I was bowling action uh, as I was, and uh, I've – have a serious problem shutting my mouth. So uh, it was late, late, late at night. Uh, and it, it benefited me because these guys, they'd, be, they'd hate me so much that they'd be willing to back anybody against me. Like anybody. It was amazing. And especially at the Super Hoinky. And I, I think I was bowling Billy Crane, uh, his left hander from Indiana. And I just like, yep, 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 yep. And they just kept putting more money behind this guy. And I was like, all right, fine. And I'd strike and uh, and he he liked to talk a lot too and uh, I locked him out of something for probably five grand I don't even know of money on the line and that was that's why I said that's why you bowl for lineage and I bowl for thousands. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I had a lot of good times traveling with Stu. Uh, he's a he's a great he's a great friend and a great guy. Uh, all my European travels, I I roomed with Stu quite a bit around the world. Uh, he's, he's great for the sport. Super, super smart. Oh my God. The icon story from Milwaukee. This is when the icon two came out. My dad was on staff with Columbia and he had one of the first balls. It wasn't even released to the public. I had it in the paddock and someone stole it overnight. And like, if anybody finds an icon two with a pinky finger drilled into it, that's guaranteed mine. Four people in the world use a pinky finger. My, no wonder about you my dad being 35 included. degrees of tilt. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh and I, I come in the next morning, can't find this ball. I can't find anybody at the counter. And so uh this is a college tournament. I just walk behind the counter and I get on the mic and I'm like, if anybody finds an icon two, that's mine, because the ball hasn't been released to the public yet. It looks like this. So if you find it, come up and find me. And people are like, F's going on here. 
Oh, that's great. I got a strike and strike. With what? Were were you? Was Lindenwood? Was it the year that you were bowling, Mike? When it was at the St. Louis Match Games, and the the heat went out the night before. We came in, and it was frigid in the center. It was like fifty-five degrees in the center, maybe maybe worse. It was in the middle of the winter, and I bowled in a jacket, and I shot seven fifty. I slapped the field bowling in this this jacket. Um, and people were like, he's not a, he's not a team player because he's not wearing his, his team shirt. And my team's like to hell with that. He just, he just laughed the field and let it, let it, let it you with can bowl in a parka if he wants. Exactly. Uh, so that was, uh, that, uh, boy, there's, there's others. <laughs> I had, I had a lot of fun. We'll, we'll take one more. Charlie Tapp says, my uncle painted the Western mural on the walls at Concord Lanes when it was called Wells. Is it still there? No. Not, not, not by our doing, Charlie. Sorry. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't do it, it, but it's not there anymore. May, I bet you behind a wonderfully carpeted wall and three layers of paint, paint it probably is still there, but uh, not covered up based on our doing. That that center was called that that center was so it was called Wells Fargo Lanes, oddly, and I didn't believe it. somebody's like oh Wells Fargo Lanes. I was like no way, BS, and then found out it was called Wells Fargo, and then it was called Blackbeards, and then it was changed to Concord Lanes. Yeah, I just got text verification from a good buddy of mine, uh, Mike Larson, who uh, who bowled for UCF back in the day where, against you guys. And he texted me and he said, we bowled against Robbie that first game in St. Louis when he bowled in a jacket and he popped 250 at us. So that is a real story. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Guys, we should have worn his 300 jacket. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, when I wore, when I wore my, my Yabba, my, my youth bowling t-shirt that had all the, the, the uh, was anybody there for that? I had all my patches. My mom would hot glue them onto it so it's really uncomfortable and it, too small and i bowled the the college the high school college tournament in that shirt uh uh there's pictures of that somewhere i got I a big that. recollection of that i don't know if you yeah. bowled the peterson in that shirt or something but i yeah we've got a picture i bowled a pete with fagan yeah yeah back to back years i, I left that building in second 1597 1603 back to back years in the peterson that's great. Yeah. Guys, we're running out of time here, though. Um, I really appreciate you guys both coming on the program. Uh, Mike, how, how can people, if, they, if they're if they in your area, how, how can they find out how to get to your centers? Uh, and, and, you know, just a little plug for, for what you have going on there. Yeah, Mike, can you give out your cell phone? <laughs> <laughs> Tripleship.com. I mean, that that's our website. You can find all of our locations there. You can find links to all of the individual websites of each location. Um, pins is our marquee location, www.pins.com, P-I-N-Z.com. Uh, you know, hit us up on there. If you want to book an event, you want to come down, you want to book a tournament. Um, you know, Mermaid, uh, is our, you know, other marquee location in Moundsview, just about 15 minutes North of us bank stadium in Minneapolis. And we've got a 70 room hotel room, 70 room hotel attached to it. The American. Uh, we were actually planning to have the Storm Youth Championship in April. Unfortunately, we had to postpone that. But uh, we want to have more bowling events, man. We want to have as many competitive bowling tournaments uh, come through our doors as possible. And, you know, obviously we're going to have – we're, we're going to talk memories and we're going to hopefully make some new memories when we have everybody back 
And, uh, you know, hopefully we can bring some more national and more, you know, big competitive regional events to uh, the Twin Cities. Cool. Robbie, anything else you'd like to add before we get out of here? Thanks for thanks for having us. And thanks for everything you're doing for Bowling. Uh, it's really important what we're doing out there. I think we're, as an industry, we're poised to, to get through this better than most every other industry. Uh, I'm excited about the future of bowling. Obviously, I've invested a lot in, in it, uh, both financially and passion and energy. Mike has, who's got tons of opportunity, but you guys don't know how how well healed he is and how in demand he is. We've built a superstar team at Triple Shift and are looking looking to do whatever we can to, to do what's best for bowling and partnering with folks in the industry uh, inside bowling. Storm has been a great partner to our our company, and we look to, to find other ways to partner with them uh, just to, to grow this and get, get bowling into more people's hands and better experiences throughout. So thanks for thanks for everything you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, it's been a, been a blast today. Thanks for coming on, sharing some stories and talking about what we're dealing with right now. Can't wait to get everybody back out bowling again. And again, for Matt and I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, right. Dad. Thank you for having us. Thanks, everybody. All right, Matt. So that's uh, that's that for today's show, man. Um, pretty strong words there. A lot of opportunity. And I know that there's people that are sitting out there that own bowling centers right now that, that things aren't great, right? And how, how can these guys be be so positive through this? But it does show that there is opportunity. It does show that when things do recover and if you do survive out there, whether if it's you own a bowling center or a barbershop or whatever your business is, and even your, your household business, if you view your own household as a business, you should save a little more. Uh, you should set yourself up and, and be aware of what, what can happen. Easier said than done, but we talk about side hustles, Matt. You, you and I are both Gary V guys, you know. Um, pick up a second job, drive some Uber, deliver some, some, some groceries, whatever you got to do to get yourself set up. I wish I could have told myself that when I was 18, so... And I know you're, you're trying to do that as well right now, Matt. You're living at home, just doing what you can, not living outside of your means and being ready to come out of this thing as best as you can. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think it's uh, got to have some humility. You've got to have, uh, you know, you've got to have dreams and aspirations. And you also have to make sure that everything's in alignment with one another so you can live the life that you want to live. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to say that I have you as a mentor, Mike, and someone that's kind of showed me the ropes of how to hustle, how to work hard, how to execute. And um, look forward to doing more things like this show with you, buddy, and, uh, and meeting more great people and hanging out with more great people like Mike and Robbie as well. We have some smart guys on today. so uh, Man, do I feel dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday, you guys told me with Brad and Kyle that I was the worst bowler on the show. And uh, today I feel like I was the dumbest guy on the show. So, well, hey, man, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. I don't know what kind of comeback I have for that, Mike. But uh, there was a very smart group of individuals. Uh, so to be the dumbest one of them all is still being pretty smart. Scotty Pippen was pretty smart if you watched yesterday's show. He sure was. He sure was. Tomorrow we'll be back an hour earlier with Mike Shady, Coach Shady. We're going to teach people how to bowl tomorrow and talk about our relationship. Thanks for watching today, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. It'll be Friday. We'll wrap up the week tomorrow. Thanks for watching.